Welcome to Destiny. If you're new here, my name is Matt Bell, and I'm the pastor here at Destiny. Just want to say welcome. Thank you for being here. It's so great to have you here with us as we are still getting started in the new year. How many of you feel like we're just getting started? How, no? Okay. Well, I, I kind of feel that way. Uh, 2020 is just just getting started. The decade is certainly just getting started. And Man, how many of you are believing God for great things in 2020? Amen? And in this decade, I am too, and I'm believing God for great things together with you. If you would, open with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 1 today. Last week, we kicked off a a brand new series in the book of Acts, and we're going to be spending the next several weeks together going through the book of Acts, weeks, maybe months Probably not years, but we're going to be here uh, for a while in the book of Acts. And where we are today, we're going to start in in verse 12 of Acts chapter 1 today. And last week we saw that Jesus made a promise to his disciples and he told them that that promise was going to be fulfilled shortly, going to be fulfilled very soon. And that promise was that they were going to be filled with the power of God's Spirit. How many of you are thankful for the power that we have through the Holy Spirit? Amen. And he asked his disciples, he said, I, I, I need you to do something before I pour out my Spirit on you. I know you guys are ready to get going. I know you're ready to be witnesses. I know you're ready to go tell everybody about the resurrection and to preach the gospel, but... I need you to wait. I need you to wait for a, a while. It, it, it's, it's not quite yet time. And, and so he instructed his disciples to wait, and, and he went on up into heaven. And in many ways, we are still waiting for his return. Amen. How many of you are anxiously waiting the Lord's return? And, and for, for the last 2,000 plus years, the, the body of Christ, the, the church, we have been, been waiting. But the, the thing was that while we wait, we still have to be working for the Lord. And so we, we looked at, at how last week we're to be witnesses for Jesus with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so now as we get into the second half of chapter one, can you guess what the disciples are doing? They're waiting. They obey Jesus. That's good. It's a good thing to obey Jesus. They're off to the right start. They're they're doing the right thing. They're doing what the Lord asked them to do. They're waiting. But in their waiting, what we find is that they have a very important decision that they need to make. They have a decision they need to make. They have to replace one of their disciples. One of the disciples, Judas, turned out to be Judas, and now they need to replace him. There needs to be 12 apostles. And so they have this very important decision to make. It is the first decision that they're having to make now on their own because Jesus is not with them. He is in heaven. Now, life is full of decisions. Have you discovered that? Every single day we make decisions. Some decisions are big decisions that we have to make. Other decisions that we make, they they seem small, they seem insignificant. Nevertheless, 
the question I want us to examine today and, and looking at what the apostles and the disciples did is, how do we make the right decisions? How do we know God's will in, in the decisions that we have to make for our lives? You know, some decisions that we have to make are, are huge. Who do I marry? How many of you would say that's a, a big decision? If you don't think that, hey, FYI, that's not just like eeny, meeny, miny, mo. We, we need the, the mind of Christ. We need the Lord's help in making these decisions. Some, some decisions seem insignificant. Where do I go to lunch today? You wouldn't know that's an insignificant decision by how much you fight about it in the car after church. Nevertheless, it, it seems insignificant. Have, have you ever made a decision that you thought was insignificant only later to realize, wow, that was a huge decision? Set the course of my whole life. I've had decisions like that where on the surface it seemed somewhat insignificant. Yet now looking back, I see that that one decision set the whole course of my life. So whether we think the decision is big or whether we think that it is small, we need the mind of Christ. We need to discern the will of God in all the decisions that we make every single day. So I'm gonna read this passage today. We're gonna look at four things that the disciples did, that the apostles did, that helped them to know the will of God in this very important decision that they had to make. And let me tell you something, the same four things that work for them are gonna work for you too. The same four things that they put into practice, they will work for you as well. And you can know the will of God in the decisions that you make. You don't have to stumble through life. Is this the right thing? You can have the mind of Christ. You can know the will of God. So let's read this passage uh, together. I'm going to read all the way through it, then we're going to unpack these four things together. Verse 12, they, the disciples, returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey that's about half a mile away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John, and now it lists the disciples who were there, Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, Judas, the son of James. He remind, wants us to know that it's not Judas Iscariot, but another Judas, the son of James. Verse 14, all these with one accord. Everybody say one accord. Look at what they were doing. They were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Jesus' brothers. Now, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And Peter said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. And now here Luke gives us a little parenthesis on what actually happened to Judas after Judas betrayed Jesus and sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. 
It says, now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness. So Judas took the money and went and bought a field. And falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language, Akadalma, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms. Now here, Peter, back to Peter's speech. And Peter here is quoting the book of Psalms. May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it. That's quoting Psalm 69, 25. And now another Psalm, Psalm 109, 8, says, let another take his office. So Peter says, One of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two options, one called Joseph, called Bersabbas, who was also called Justice, this guy had three names, and Matthias, verse 24. And they prayed, and they said, you, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast their lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Father, we thank you for your word today. Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, I know that in a room this size, there are many people here who have important decisions to make. Important decisions about where to live, what kind of career to pursue, spouses to marry, when to have children, how many children to have, how to raise their children, how to discipline their children, how kind of school to send their children to, what part of town to live in, whether they should make a career change or not, whether they should prolong retirement or not, whether how to take care of, of aging parents. And Lord, so many decisions that, that we have to make. Lord, in all of our decisions, we want to honor you. We, we want to honor your word. We, we want to, to not make a decision that, that's not in... Uh, uh, in accordance with your word and in accordance with your will. Lord, as your people, that's our our heart's desires, to live according to your will. So help us through our time together as we look at your disciples and the process they went through to make this important decision. May we learn from their example and make decisions for our lives in accordance with your will and that your name would be praised. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Four things I want us to see this morning from this. The first thing that they did was that they were together. Everybody say together. They were together as they made this decision. And as we look at this group of of about 120, it says, we see that it's an eclectic group of people. The disciples were from just the the 11 that were there. They were from different backgrounds. Some of the disciples were fishermen. 
Others of them, we know Matthew was a tax collector. We know that Simon was a zealot. Now, you might read that and just think that he had a type A personality, but, but that's not what Simon the zealot means. It doesn't mean he was just very passionate. The zealots were actually a political movement. They were a movement that thought the, the, the way to secure a peace for, for Israel and for Jerusalem was to overthrow the Roman government in Jerusalem. The zealots were anarchists. There was a very intense political persuasion. Now, certainly we know that not all of the disciples were of that persuasion. And so we see that they're from different backgrounds, different uh, areas of life and, and culture, different upbringing, some educated, some not, some blue collar, some white collar, some actively involved in politics, others not. We also see that the women were there, and, and this, this group of women, we, we read about them in the Gospels. Some of them were uh, loved the Lord and served the Lord faithfully. Others of these women came out of very broken lives. We know one of the women, Mary Magdalene, at one point in her life, she was filled with seven demons. That's seven too many if you're keeping count, okay? That's a lot. Now, we don't know exactly what she did to be filled with seven, seven demons, but to be filled with seven demons, you have to be involved in some pretty gnarly stuff. You don't just wake up one day and seven demons moved in. Okay, that's not how it happens. You might think that's what happened to your wife, but trust me, it, it doesn't happen that way. You, you, to, to be filled with a demonic spirit, you have to open the door to that in your life by pursuing unrighteous, ungodly activity. And to be filled with seven, that means you're running in the wrong direction very fast, very hard for a very long time. Yet Jesus, when she encounters Jesus, what does he do? He cleanses her of her demons. He kicks them out. He pushes the reset button on her life. And she goes from being a, a woman of the world under the control of demonic power to being a woman of God, in love with Jesus, following Jesus everywhere that he went, to the, to the fact that she is the first one who is a witness of the resurrection, the first one to see the empty tomb. A beautiful story of Mary Magdalene. We know of other women, who, who uh, Mary and, and, and Martha, who were some of Jesus' closest friends. And it goes on to say that even the Lord's mother was there. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, as we see Mary here among this group, do I need to point out to you that they're not worshiping her? And they're not praying to her. And they're not venerating her. That Mary is one of them. They're not worshiping her. She's worshiping Jesus. They're not praying to her. She's praying to Jesus. And in fact, this is the last mention we have of Mary in the Bible. 
This is the very end of her story. So all of this teaching that comes from praying to Mary, that Mary is interceding on our behalf, that, that we venerate her, listen, that's not from God. That's not from the scripture. We have one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, period, okay? So I just wanted to point that out to you because we live in San Antonio. We also see that Jesus' brothers are there as a part of this 120 disciples. Now, I have four younger brothers that I love with all my heart. But Jesus' brothers there are there with the disciples as a part of his church, a part of Jesus' church. And When we read about Jesus' brothers earlier in the Gospels, in John chapter 7, verse 5, it tells us that his brothers, Jesus' brothers, they don't believe in him, that his brothers are not people of faith. They don't believe in Jesus. And in Mark chapter, let's see, Mark chapter 3, verse 21, it tells us that at one point, Mary and Jesus' brothers, they went and surrounded Jesus, and they tried to bring him home. Jesus was out doing ministry, saying things like, I am God. And word gets back to Mary and and his brothers, and they think, Jesus is getting a little too big for his britches. He's, He's kind of lost his mind. And they go to get him and take him home because he's being an embarrassment to them and to the family. They literally say he is out of his mind. So they don't believe in him. They think he's lost his mind. Now, they're part of this 120 disciples. Now, they're part of the believers. What happened? They saw the resurrection. They saw Jesus crucified, risen from the dead. They were part of that group of people that Jesus appeared to on multiple occasions for 40 days, coming in and out, teaching them about the kingdom of God. This, to me, is one of the greatest evidences for the resurrection is that Jesus' own family now believe in him. Like I said, I have four younger brothers, and let me tell you, there's nothing that could cause them to worship me as God. But Jesus' brothers are here. James, the half-brother, they're both all the half-brothers of Jesus. James ends up writing uh, the, the letter of James, and Jude ends up writing the letter of Jude. They become very influential men in the church. They're here as a part of this Group And so this is, a, this is a diverse group. They're not all from the same background. They don't have all the same political beliefs. They're not from the same economic status. Some were believers from the beginning. Others are recent converts after having seen the risen Christ. But the gospel, it brings people together. The gospel brings people together. The work of Christ in our hearts, it causes us to say, you know what? You might be from the other side of the tracks, but we're both part of the kingdom of God. 
You might be from the other side of the political aisle, but hey, we both worship the same God. That we are not defined by the R or the D on our voting card. We're defined by the J that's written on our hearts. Hello? Amen? It brings them together. And so they're here together. They're, they're worshiping together. And here's what I want you to see. That in isolation, we make bad decisions. We make bad decisions in isolation. When we don't consult godly counsel, when we don't consult our spouse, when we don't consult our pastor, we make bad decisions when we make them in isolation. The Bible says this in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but an abundance of counselors, there is safety. And the writer of Proverbs we know is Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. He repeats this again in verse, uh, chapter 15, verse 22. Chapter 24 of verse 6, he says the same thing three times. If you want to make wise decisions, seek godly counsel. Notice the word godly in front of counsel. There's some counsel that we should not seek. Amen? Don't take marriage advice from someone who's been divorced five times. Don't take diet advice from someone who's Obviously, not on a diet. If you want godly wisdom, search out someone who's godly and wise. And they are there together. In, in isolation, we make bad decisions, but God has placed people in our lives to help us, to guide us. Again, your spouse. Consult with your spouse on important decisions. Men, don't just go buy a car and come home with a new car. Surprise. I brought home $25,000 of debt. Right? We have, we, we, as husband and wife, we're one flesh. We, we, we make decisions together especially important decisions together, not in isolation. Listen, we need each other. Turn to your neighbor and say, we need each other. We need each other. We need each other to strengthen each other. You know, I, I love the picture of, of coals in a fire. Uh, last, a couple Monday nights ago, we had our men's uh, barbecue and um, or men's, men's fellowship, and we were grilling up some burgers on the fire, and we got the fire going, and man, there was some, there was some serious flamage uh, coming out of that fire. And, but in the midst of the fire, there was some coals. They got white hot. That means they were really hot, like super, super hot. And one of the coals, it was in there, and it was white hot, and and it fell out of the, the, the grill down onto the ground. And a few moments went by and it went from being white hot 
to ice cold in a matter of minutes. And if you isolate yourself, we're like those coals. If we stay in community, if we stay with the people of God, man, we will stay red hot, white hot for God. If we isolate ourselves from the people of God, you know what's going to happen? You're going to cool off really quick. It's just the way it works. We need each other. And so if you're going to make any kind of important decision, man, seek godly counsel. Surround yourself with the people of God. That's number one. Number two, we see that they were in prayer together. In verse 14, it says that they were in one accord together, devoting themselves to prayer. They were praying about this decision. They were praying about what the right thing to do was and who the right person was. They were going to the Lord in prayer. Now, prayer doesn't have to be strange and mysterious. You know, sometimes I think that we get this idea that when we pray, we have to pray in old King James or Father in heaven, thou art so mighty and thee is the, and we, we, we just, we're so lost and that's not how prayer is supposed to be. Prayer is simply talking with God. It's talking with God. You don't have to kick into preacher voice and old King James or, or pray in Latin. Or I've, I've been to churches where they did the whole service in Latin and nobody in there spoke Latin. And it's like, what, what is going on? Who, I mean, God understands, but nobody else does. What is, listen, you don't have to kick into weirdo mode when you go to pray. <laughs> Number one rule of prayer, don't be weird. Just, just don't be weird. Just, just be you. Just be normal. Jesus says, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father, our Father in heaven. It's, it's like going into the presence of the perfect dad. Think, leave it to Beaver, all right? I mean, if you had a really bad dad, just think, of, what was his name? Ward? Well, he wasn't perfect, okay. Um, <laughs> but like a really awesome dad, like always there, always has the right thing, always wants you there, always inviting you into his presence, always. Perfect love, perfect acceptance, perfect in all of his ways. And he invites us in. When we go to God in prayer, it's just our Father, Father, help, help me, guide me, lead me, instruct me. Let, let me live a life in accordance with, with your will. Lord, I'm, I'm weak in my flesh and I've made mistakes. Lord, help me to, to keep from making mistakes today. Let me live for you and for your kingdom. And it, it doesn't have to be weird. Go to God with the stuff that's on your heart. The Bible says God knows what we need even before we ask. He's not fooled by our long-winded prayers. He's not up there saying, oh, he only said thee twice. Nah. He didn't hit the, the limit of pi, pi, p, 
piety? I'm trying to mix pious and something else. But anyway, he, that, that's, not, that's not our God. Our God is merciful and gracious, full of mercy and love towards us. And so, uh, but what we're looking at here is they, they didn't just, it, the, the prayer that they're offering is not a, just a short little thank you, Jesus, for my food, blessed, and Lord, try and take away 6,000 of the calories I'm about to consume. It, it's not that. It, it's, it's a persistence in prayer. You know, the Bible says to pray without ceasing. And they were actually doing that. Literally, they had a 10-day prayer meeting, 120 of them, always praying, seeking the Lord. Now, we, as we're getting about our lives, because we're past the waiting period that the disciples were in, we can still pray without ceasing. You, you can have a, a constant conversation going with the Lord all day long, all day long, wherever you're at. Right now, you could even be praying. You can pray in your car on the way home. You can pray in your car on the way to work. That's what I do most days. I don't put it on 550 or 1200. Let me tell you, that's a great way to ruin your day, to start by listening to that. I start by listening to the Lord and praying. And sometimes I really need his help getting, to, getting here without sin in my heart on the roads of San Antonio. Persistent in prayer, continually in prayer. Verse three, or, or number three. Here's what I want you to see that they did. They searched the scriptures together. They searched the scriptures. Peter stood up and he said, look, we have a decision to make. We have to replace Judas. Let's go to the word for some guidance. Let's go to the word for some guidance. Let's search out the scriptures. And I love what it says here in verse 16, that the scripture had to be fulfilled, which was spoken by whom? Who spoke the scriptures? The Holy Spirit. Peter says the scripture was spoken by the Holy Spirit, but it came through what vessel? David. This is, this is how all scripture is written. It's the words of God, the Holy Spirit writing, but he writes through his vessel. As we turn the pages a little further in the New Testament, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says that all scripture is breathed out or inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That the word of God, the, the scriptures are, are breathed out by God. They're inspired by God, 2 Timothy 3 says. 2 Peter 1, verse 20 and 21 says that knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The scriptures are inspired by God. The scriptures are written by God. And so if we want to know the will of God, we need to follow the disciples' example as they were searching out the word of God. 
They searched out the word of God. They came together, they prayed together, and then they turned to the scriptures for guidance. And so I've got this little saying, I wanna share it with you again this morning, but it's simply this, the will of God is revealed in the word of God. The will of God is revealed in the word of God. If you wanna know God's will, you've got to know God's word. It's what directed the disciples through this whole situation. To know God's will, you have to know his word. Now, can God direct us through speaking to us through the Holy Spirit, that still small voice? Yes, of course he can. Of course he can. And does he? Yes, absolutely he does. But let me ask you this. How do you learn to recognize his voice? How do you recognize the voice of the Holy Spirit from your own voice or from every other voice that's speaking into you? Will you, you learn to hear God's voice by, by finding out who he is? by studying his word, by learning him and knowing him. And so when you feel that still small voice, you can know this is God because it's consistent with who he is in his word. You see, the Holy Spirit will never lead you to make a decision that is contrary to the word of God. Ever, ever. So you should never say this statement. And if anyone ever says this, you ever hear them say this, you have my permission to rebuke them in the name of Jesus. I know the Bible says this, but. I know, the, I know God's word says this, but. Don't ever say that. You're heading down a wrong path if you're following that kind of thinking. I know God's word says this, but whatever comes next is bad, is wrong, is false, is a lie from the devil. And I would love right now to take you to Genesis chapter three and unpack how the serpent deceived Eve and he came and said, I know God says this, but but I know God said you would die if you ate the fruit, but you won't die, but. But I don't have time to do that this morning, so we won't do it, but you could go and do it and it'd be a real great blessing to you. The will of God is revealed in the word of God. Now listen, we, we need to train ourselves to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely, we do. And again, the way we do that is by studying his word, by studying his word, by knowing his word. And I cannot tell you how many times I've needed to make a decision. I, it was a difficult decision. I didn't know the right thing to do. How many of you have been there in life? You, you just don't know the right thing. And I went to the Lord in prayer. I sought godly counsel and I opened the scriptures and all of a sudden, just studying the word, reading the word, not even thinking about the decision I have to make, the Holy Spirit breathes on a passage. The Holy Spirit breathes on, on a certain verse and it just leaps off the page and all of a sudden I know this is what I need to do. This is the direction we need to go. This is the decision that I have to make. And it's how the Lord works in our heart and in our lives. 
So number one, they were together. Number two, they prayed together. Number three, they searched the scriptures together, seeking the will of God. And number four, we find in verse 24, it says, when they had done all of these things, they prayed again. They prayed again. So they were together, they prayed, they searched the scriptures, and before they made their final decision, they prayed again. They prayed again. And I bring this up to you because I want you to see that this is not just a, a, a one-time kind of thing that, that they did to make this decision, but this is how they live their lives. This is how they live their lives. It wasn't, oh, I just have an important decision to make, so now I'm going to get in church, and now I'm going to pray, and where's my Bible? And no, this was just how they lived all the time, together, praying together, studying the scriptures together, continuing again in prayer. And if you will live a life like that, you will live a life in the will of God. You you will live a life in the will of God. You you don't even have to worry. You don't even have to fret. In fact, the the book of Philippians chapter 4 says, don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. I I told you about sometimes insignificant decisions actually turn out to be very significant decisions. I'll never forget the day uh, I went to lunch with my dad and he, he just said, hey, you want to go grab lunch? I said, yeah, sure. And we, we went up to Las Palapas. Seemed like, a, like I could have gone to lunch a hundred different places. I could have gone to lunch another time with another person that day. But for whatever reason, that day, we went to lunch. And the discussion that we had at that table changed the entire course of my life. And thinking back on it, I don't know if we would have ever had that conversation that we had that day if we hadn't gone that day. But it was on that day that we went to Las Palapas and my dad looked across the table from me as we ate enchiladas together and lots of salsa and chips and he said, you know what? I think you ought to marry Heather Pittman. That's what he told me. And I said, you're crazy. (laughs) I was... She had not even entered into my orbit. He said, no, I think you should. And and he pushed back on me. And I left that conversation thinking he was out of his mind. Guess who was out of his mind? Was me, obviously. And I, I, I just, you know, that little seed he planted in there just grew and grew. And that little seed's turned into four little kids now up in kids ministry that... Are there for, for the Lord, destiny kids, you know? But anyway, sometimes small decisions can actually set the course of our lives, the trajectory of our lives. And so we can't just put these into practice when we have what we think is a big decision. Because sometimes what we think is a big decision actually turns out not to matter at all. And sometimes things that we think are small and insignificant actually turn out to be huge. But you know who knows what what are big and small? God knows. And so if you, my dear friend, will live a life 
together with God's people in community, surrounded by people that love you, full of godly wisdom, will engage the Lord in prayer and other people on your behalf praying together. If you will search the scriptures continually, not just when you have a decision to make, but, all, but every day of your life being devoted to the word of God and continue and persist in prayer without ceasing, you will live a life that is in accordance with God's will. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will direct you. The Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. That this is how the Lord orders our steps. I want my steps to be ordered of the Lord. I I, I want to know that that whenever I step into what seems to be a random event or random situation or random conversation that I know it's not because I'm living a life whose steps are ordered by the Lord. Amen. So these are the four things that they did. This was a hard decision, a difficult decision. Judas was someone who was very close to them. He wasn't an outsider. He was an insider that turned against them. Someone who very close for three years. We see where the disciples turn, community, prayer to the scriptures. But the question is, where do you turn? Where do you turn when you have to make a decision? Where do you turn for for counsel and advice? What do you do? Do you just make a pros and cons list? Man, let me, let me encourage you. Take your decisions to the Lord in prayer. This was the way that they lived, and it should be the way that we live every single day. I have another point, but I don't have any more time. So I'm just going to give it to you, and then we're going to get out of here, okay? Judas failed. His life was a failure. He turned his back on Christ. He sold him out. But you know what did not fail? God's plan. God's purpose. God had seen Judas' failure long before Judas ever failed. And God had even incorporated Judas's sin and failure into his perfect plan of redemption so that the scriptures even predict what Judas did. And so I want to encourage all of you here today that man's failures do not thwart God's purposes. Man's failures do not thwart God's purposes People may have failed you. People may have turned their back on you. People may have betrayed you. People may have sold you out. Your spouse may have left you. Your kids may have abandoned you. Man's failures do not thwart God's purposes. God has a plan, and it is perfect. And it will not be thwarted by the failures of men. God's plan is still fulfilled. Jesus still dies for the sins of the world. Redemption still comes to humanity. Because God's purposes stand in our lives. And I could preach that, but we don't have time. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us. We thank you that you are always good to us. Lord, in the decisions that we have to make in our lives, thank you that you give us an outline. You give us a roadmap. You teach us how to to live and to make decisions in accordance with your will. Lord, for everyone who's here today that's in the midst of making an important decision, Lord, that we would put into practice these things to be people who are 
together in community, seeking godly counsel and wisdom, praying with one another, searching the scriptures together, going again before you in prayer continuously. And Lord, I thank you that no matter what may come in our lives, that no failure of man will thwart the purpose of God in our lives. And so for that, we give you thanks. We give you praise. In Jesus' name.